Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. I am excited in some ways and not in others about this morning's sermon, which we'll talk about in a second. Somebody was very excited about this morning's sermon. They were just eating it up. Like, literally, one of our little ones was just eating the notes earlier. So I hope that this is as enjoyable for you as it was for them, I guess. Uh, I did not let them eat this part. This is a $20 bill. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, plenty of takers for this one. The notes, maybe not, but this, people are all over it. This is really, I mean, really, this is simply a piece of paper. It's a special kind of paper, and it's got special printing on it, and it does cool things when you hold it up to the light, and you can see things in it, and it's got all kinds of security features, and it's got some numbers on it, but it is a green piece of paper. And yet it's a green piece of paper that has some value because we have all agreed, whether we wanted to or not, that this is worth $20. It's $20. The question isn't really, what is this made out of? The question isn't even really, what is it worth? Because we can look around and somebody has put price tags on things and we go, okay, well, that's what this is worth. I think a more interesting question is what is the purpose of this thing? That's the question I'd love to ask this morning. What is the purpose of money. And maybe uh, it is a question you have thought about before, or maybe not so much. What is the purpose of money? We've been talking the last few weeks about next steps we believe God is calling us to take as a church, and they happen to be steps that we believe Jesus wants all of us to take. Those who said, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you with my life, that means taking some steps to follow him for those of you who weren't with us at the beginning of this series, in February, our uh, church leadership, our ministry board and staff met with our denomination's district superintendent, which uh, just mean he's my boss, and he came and he met with us, and we asked the question together, who do we believe God wants us to be in 2025? Which is basically just a, hey, three years from now, if everything is going well, and by well, we mean we are becoming the church and we are being the church God wants us to be, what will that mean? What will that look like? What will be true of us? What will be happening amongst us? And as we distilled that conversation down, there were some things that popped out. And so we've been talking about some of those things for us as an organization, next steps of who we are, uh, that we want to walk in as, as we become who God is calling us to be. And again, they're nothing remarkably earth-shattering or brand new. They are as ancient as this text we're going to look at this morning. But they're good and they're true, and they're good and true for all of us. So we're asking the question, not only are we taking these steps as an organization, but are we each taking them as disciples of Jesus? Not because we're saying, hey, this is what the church is doing. You have to do this too. But because as we look at these things, we believe they are things Jesus calls all of us 
to become and to do. So we're talking about being healthy and Christ-formed people. We're talking about being Jesus-centered when we gather and being formed by Jesus, not by all the other things in life that want to form us. We're talking about choosing intentional relationships, about working together to impact our community, things for us as a church, for each of us who make up the church. And there are a, a number of factors in how people and organizations grow. And that's essentially what we're talking about is what is Jesus inviting each of us and all of us to step into as we grow, as he is growing and molding us. And there's a number of factors that go into how organizations and people grow. I don't even want to imagine how much ink has been spilled in writing and printing books and blogs on organizational health, right? And organizational growth. So I won't spend a ton of time on that, but there are a couple of factors in our growth, both, both as individuals and as organizations, that I think people would just prefer their preacher didn't talk about. So I'm gonna talk about both of them, uh, one this week and one next week. Uh, and we'll start today by talking about money. And, and maybe the organizational side of talking about money and growth makes sense to you, is obvious to you. For, for any organization to grow, and to grow its impact internally and externally, finances fuel function. That's just true for any for-profit or non-profit organization, finances fuel function. We're gonna do things that helps to have a currency to help that happen, right? And the church is, uh, is no different, really. It is, it is part of the impact that we have and how we grow as an organization. For you and me, though, as disciples of Jesus, what does money have to do with our growth? And I think that gets us back to our question. What exactly is the purpose of money? Culturally, in our world today, and really, I think, throughout the history of the world, the purpose of money is never discussed, but is always implied. The purpose of money, culturally, is to gain. That's what money is for. It's to gain. Money is used to acquire stuff, to gain comfort, to gain services, to gain independence. We use money to acquire for ourselves. That's just the purpose of it, culturally. The world says the purpose of having money and earning money is so that you can gain some comfort, some services, some independence. Why do teenagers want money? It's because they know intuitively that money equals independence for them. Because if they have the money to pay for their own car, the money to pay for their own gas, the money to start putting aside for rent and that sort of, that they can start to not have to depend on their parents as much. Money affords us some independence to be our own person in some way. We use money to gain a roof over our heads, security for our families, food for our stomachs, repairs for something that might be broken. And these things are not bad things to gain. This is not going to be a sermon on money where if you're not homeless at the end of it, you're gonna to be told you feel guilty. Like that's not what we're doing here. Like it's, it is okay to gain a roof over our heads to have food in our stomachs, to create some security for our families, to get repairs for what's broken and we don't know how to fix it. 
This is okay. None of these things are in and of themselves bad. Scripture points out a universal truth, though, that I think is worth examining. The gain tends to lead to attachment, an attachment to dependence, and dependence to servitude, which might be a word that I made up, but it's going to work for us this morning. Gain leads to attachment, which leads to dependence, which leads to servitude. There is an oft-quoted verse in scripture that you may have heard before, that money is the root of all evil. Some people quote it, they don't even know they're quoting scripture. Money is the root of all evil. Only that's not actually what the verse says. So really quick, let's take a look. It's in a letter we call 1 Timothy in the New Testament. Chapter six, verse 10, and the verse goes this way. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered away from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. And you can see this pattern emerge in this verse. The love of the attachment to money creates cravings for more. If somebody is craving a drug, we would say they're dependent on that drug. An attachment leads to a dependence, which leads them into all kinds of things they don't want to participate in but can't get out of because they are a slave to the situation they find themselves in. Gain creates attachment, creates dependence, creates servitude. So to be clear, or to try to be clear, money isn't bad. Again, it's, it's part of the positive impact for your life and for any organization that you're a part of. And for the record, this pattern of attachment dependence isn't inherently bad either. Uh, attachment and dependence are a part of any relationship, right? For example, let's say you gain a spouse, which I know is a really weird way to say that, so bear with me. But you, you gain a spouse, okay? And now you are attached to them, either because you love them and want to be attached to them or because you signed the paper. But either way, you're now attached to this person. And there is now some dependence in your life on this person, either because you're doing life together or you're trying to own a home together or you're trying to do a family together. There's some dependence on this person. And hopefully, in a healthy relationship, it is an attachment based in love, which leads to a dependence based in trust. I, I trust you to do life with you. I trust you to take care of these things. You do your part, I'll do mine. We'll love God and love people together. And that love and trust leads to service of one another by choice to demonstrate that love based in trust. pattern isn't all bad, and money isn't all bad. However, it is worth noting at this point that unhealthy attachments make unhealthy relationships. Unhealthy attachments make unhealthy relationships. And I, I probably don't need to turn to scripture for this truth. We just know this from our stories and from the stories of people around us. 
that somewhere along the line in our lives, we have gotten attached in some way to a person or a thing that is not healthy. And that led to an unhealthy relationship with that person or thing. Maybe you got way too into your hobby. Maybe you thought this person was just the coolest and so you kind of hitched your life wagon to them and went, oh, actually this is not, this is not good. I guess what I'm trying to say is that you have a relationship with money. How healthy is that relationship? And maybe you've never thought about how you have a relationship with money. We don't really talk about it in those kinds of terms, but we do. We are engaged in a relationship that can include attachment and dependence with money on a regular basis. Whether, whether you're using the paper kind or the plastic kind or the crypto kind, you have some attachment, some dependence on money to pay rent, to get groceries, to take care of the people around you. So how healthy is that relationship? And I think the answer to that question depends a great deal on what you see as the purpose for that relationship. Jesus said this about money and our desire to gain. This is in Matthew chapter six. I'll start in verse 19, which this may be a passage you have heard before. Jesus says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me make another perhaps obvious and observable truth. The stuff we gain with our money takes up real estate in our lives. If you have kids, you know this is true because somehow you buy them something this big and it takes up this much room in your house. And I don't really know how that works, but it does. Some of you have had the good fortune in your life of being able to move from a smaller house to a larger one. And the same amount of stuff from that smaller house takes up the same amount of room in your larger house and I'm not really sure how that works either. But it does. The stuff we buy, the stuff we gain, takes up real estate in our lives. Whatever you purchase, if you buy a thing, it needs a place. Your driveway, your closet, your nooks and crannies, even your investments can take up time and brain space. And when you're attached to all of that stuff, it begins to take up real estate in your heart. And that's all Jesus is recognizing here. That if you love your money or the things it gains you, those things take up real estate in your heart. For example, I think we can see some of this dependence idea, this attachment dependence with something like a car, okay? Now, some people love their cars. That's not actually what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how for most of us in this area where we live, 
We have built lives that really only function if we have a vehicle. The distance between our home and our hobbies and our church and our workplace is such that it would be exceedingly difficult to do life the way we do it, if not impossible, without a vehicle. So by structuring our lives that way, we have attached our life to having a vehicle. Maybe not this one, but a vehicle of some sort. We're dependent on that thing. And so in our lives, we do things and spend things and use time and thinking power on maintaining and serving that car that we're dependent on. Oil changes, filling up the tank even when it hurts, uh, trying to make sure that the repairs that need to be done actually get done, trying to figure out if they're just trying to upsell us, if I've got, my car's actually gonna explode if I drive it out of this place. Like all of those things take up brain space, real estate in our lives and our hearts. And if you're somebody who goes, you know, I'm not really, I don't, I don't know that I get attached to anything. That may absolutely be true. A good way to kind of evaluate what things are taking up real estate in my heart. Like, I, I'm not a huge car person, okay? Maybe you're not either. Let's pick something totally different. If somebody came into your house and cut up your shirts, would you have an emotional reaction? Would you be sad or angry or disappointed? Yeah. Then those things are to some degree taking up real estate in your heart. Not even saying this is awful and bad, I'm just saying it's good to recognize, and, and here's why. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Where your money goes, your heart will follow, right? When, when he, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your be, money goes, your heart will follow. He continues in verse 23, and this is gonna feel like a sharp right turn, like we've changed subjects, but he's still talking about money and he's gonna get back to money specifically in a couple verses. He says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. This gets back to what we were saying about unhealth and unhealthy attachments. If the thing you are attached to is unhealthy, then the whole relationship is unhealthy. And the scariest ones, and many of you have experienced this, is when you think the source of your attachment is healthy, and then it turns out to not be. That's where things get really dark, right? How healthy is this attachment? And in regards to money, he's saying, look, As you allow this thing, like light through your eye, into your life, what effect is it having on you? He continues in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. 
you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So just to be clear, to all of us trying to follow God with our lives, you can't serve both God and money. Jesus can't say it any clearer than that. I can't either. You can't serve both God and money. And this isn't a scare tactic of some sort. This is just an observation. Devotion, as Jesus says, you can't be devoted to both. Devotion is really defined as love and loyalty, okay? Devotion or love or attachment will lead to servitude. So which relationship are you more devoted to? Which relationship, God or money, are you giving your love and loyalty to? And yes, we're all sitting here in church and we know the right answer, but, but really ask yourself, based on your choices, based on how you function through your life, the decisions you make, the fears you have, which relationship is your love and loyalty directed more towards? Your relationship with God or your relationship with money? And if we're going to be devoted to God, what does that mean for our money? And if money is not evil, what will our devotion to God lead us to do with our money? And scripture has a lot to say, actually, about our relationship with money and wealth from uh, the very beginning through the very end. And a servant of God named Paul, somebody who was attached to and dependent on God and serving God with his life, a servant of God named Paul sums it up this way in what is uh, now Acts chapter 20. And we're dropping into the middle of a conversation where Paul is talking to people he knows very, very well and who know him very, very well and probably talking to them for the last time. And so he's reflecting on his life with them and what his actions have taught them as they look to his example. I'll start in verse 33. He said, I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Again, a phrase you have probably heard before, quoted often in our culture, often by people who don't realize they're quoting scripture. Now, full disclosure, we don't have any other record of Jesus saying those words. It's not in any of the four gospel accounts of Jesus's life. But Jesus lived for 33 years and taught publicly for three, and we assume there are a lot of things that we don't have recorded that Jesus said and taught. And there's no reason to believe that Paul is making this up for his own benefit or gain. This appears to be a commonly understood teaching of Jesus at the time, that it is more blessed to give than to receive, and we know it matches up with the overall teaching of scripture on how our relationship should be with money and wealth. 
if the cultural purpose of money is to gain, the biblical purpose of money is to give. The biblical purpose, how the Bible treats money and our wealth, the biblical purpose of money is to give and primarily to give love. Now that may feel strange when we're talking about money, but Jesus said, the most important thing we can do in this life is to love God and love others. Why would that be any different with our money? And I'm not talking about buying somebody else's love. Uh, that's, not what, that's gaining something for yourself. I'm talking about communicating love in how we spend our time, in our actions, in our finances, in our money. The most important thing we can do with the currency of this world is to love God and love our neighbor. We are generous. We have the opportunity to communicate love. Plus, the principle of money that we talked about earlier is still true. Where your money goes, your heart will follow. So if you want your heart to be attached to something, give financially to it. If you want your heart to be attached to some cause, give financially to it. If you want your heart to be attached to the work of God around the world, give financially to it, which, by the way, we collected an offering uh, last week for a Great Commission Day, right? We talked about the work God is doing around the world and our opportunity to help fund it. And as a church, we gave nearly $5,000 to God's work around the world. So thank you for your generosity. And in doing so, this is how our heart becomes attached in some ways to the work of God around the world and to those who are doing it. Because where our money goes, our heart will follow. If you want your heart attached to something, give financially to it. Here's a weird one. If you're a parent struggling with a, a young adult child, and like, man, I really want to love them, but they're making it really hard right now. I'm not saying this is wise in every case. Every case is different. But if you're blessing them financially, there is a principle in scripture here about where your money goes, your heart will follow. If you're having trouble loving somebody that you really know you should or want to love, this is one way to both express love to them and to see your heart follow. Prayer is another really, really good one. <laughs> So just for all the, I watched all the young adult eyes in the room light up. They're like, oh, that's a great idea. Yes. I'm going to make mom and dad angry and they'll make, give me more money. That's not what I said. Not what I said. Okay. Prayer is also a really good one. But there is this principle in scripture that where your treasures go, your heart will go also. And, and if your heart is already attached to a person or a cause, if there is already someone or something that you love and believe in, it just makes sense that your money would follow it. In fact, our money and our hearts are so closely linked. I think any time 
we're using money to give or to gain, it would be helpful to ask this question. Is this something I want taking up real estate in my heart? Anytime we go to click, buy with one click. Anytime we go to give to a cause or a mission. Anytime we are purchasing a new car or a new home. Anytime we're deciding on whether to give a gift financially to somebody. Is this something or someone I want taking up real estate in my heart? Because again, going back to the shirts example, it starts to take up some real estate. Is this something that you want to take up real estate in your heart? And I'm not saying we're gonna get emotionally attached to everything that we buy, but the chances are good that we do. So if you're taking that risk, it's worth asking the question. On the flip side of the same question, do the causes and people who already take up real estate in your heart, the people and causes you love, do they know that by your generosity? If there's already real estate in your heart given to a person, a thing, or a cause, is that matched by your generosity to them? Your generosity will communicate love. It communicates that you believe in someone or something. It communicates that you trust that organization or person, that you're willing to attach your heart to them. And if to gain is to provide comfort and services and independence for ourselves, then to give is to provide those things for someone else. And in that way, to serve them instead of serving ourselves. If money's primary purpose, as culture will tell us, and again, as most cultures throughout world history will tell us, if money's primary purpose is gain, it will lead to attachment and dependence and servitude. But if money's primary purpose is to give, well, then generosity leads to love and trust and service. Being generous with our time, being generous with our emotions and our empathy and our compassion, being generous with our money, both communicates love and grows the love in us as our heart follows where our treasures go. It communicates trust. It is an opportunity to serve the people around us. And I don't know if you have thought much about this, but God has been very generous to you and to me. No matter what our financial status God has been generous in his grace, in his truth, in his gifts. He's entrusting you with his gifts of grace and truth and his story to tell. He's communicating his desire 
to serve you. Uh, you remember that often misquoted verse from 1 Timothy. We read earlier, a few verses later, and this letter is written by the same servant of God, Paul, that we read about in Acts. He's writing to his student, Timothy, and he's trying to instruct Timothy on how to instruct other believers. And so still in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, we'll scroll down to verse 17. Paul writes to Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God has been generous to us. So what do we do with that? Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. God has been generous to us, and we should be generous as well in love and trust and service to others. And I don't want to blow past this too quickly, because if we've been sitting in church and engaging in church for some amount of time, this maybe isn't as overwhelmingly crazy and ridiculous as it should be. The God of the universe, who created stars with a snap of his fingers, who made humanity out of the dust and breathed his breath into us, who scripture tells us carefully pieced each of us together in our mother's womb. That God of that much power and might has chosen to love you, has chosen to entrust you, me, us, with his grace and his truth to share with the people around us. has shown a desire to serve us. He showed it in the person of Jesus. He so badly wanted to demonstrate this desire to serve and love you that he died just to prove his point and to save all of us from our sins, and our weaknesses, and from death. God has richly blessed us. And whether you're somebody who recognizes that, yes, this word rich applies to you, or whether you're somebody who goes, yeah, the word rich is not one I've ever applied to me in my entire life. This does not say, go and give some certain amount of money. Verse 18 says, tell them to use their money to do good. Maybe for you, to sacrificially give is thousands upon thousands of dollars. Maybe for you, it's two. Fine. It's not about the amount. 
God has been generous to us, not only in how he has provided for us, but God has been generous to us in his love, in his trust, and in sacrificing himself for us. And so he asks us to sacrifice what we have, what he has given to us and blessed us with. So what is your relationship with money? This week, I invite you to reflect on some of these questions. Maybe when you pull out your wallet, when you're clicking on things online, what is my relationship with money? What is the purpose of money in my life? It's most certainly a tool. Have you seen it as a tool to gain or a tool to give? When you go to use money, be willing to pause and ask the question, is this something that I want taking up real estate in my heart? And in the end, this question, what does my relationship with money say my Where your money goes, your heart, your attachment, your devotion will go also. Have you decided to be devoted to money and its gains or to God and his call to be generous? Our God has been generous to us with his love and his grace his provision, his truth, his life. And he asks us to go and do the same. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, we wanna praise you for your generosity. We are here because of it. Not because of what we can get from you, but because of what you have already given. Your life, your all. And all you ask is that we do likewise. God, we come to give you our lives, to give you our all to give you all that we have gained from you and from the world and to use it so that you would be glorified, to use it to communicate love to you and to the people around us. God, would you speak through us as a church, through each of us in our daily lives, our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, Would you speak through how we love, how we serve, how we trust, and how we spend? That we would give love and we would give you glory. 
We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.